From Bregman MD, where we're all about psych solutions, I'm your host, Linda Corley, and this is The Breakdown with Dr. B. So I read an interesting article the other day in the Miami Herald, and doctor, did you know that the Miami-Dade School District, which is the district that you live in, will likely hire more mental health professionals this year to deal with the large and possibly unprecedented number of school kids that are going to be returning in just a few months uh, because they're suffering from psychological trauma over the course of COVID-19, the pandemic, you know, being enclosed, having to go to online school. You predicted this last summer, remember? You know, at the end of the pandemic, your post-pandemic, that's when we see the mental health issues. Okay. And you know, the kids really let us know what's even going on with the families. You know, they're, they're very vocal. And now the kids are coming back to school. They got like a third of a million people, 300,000 kids. Okay. And, you know, for me, what I see as a psychiatrist is it's a reset and almost like the first day at school as a predictor about how this is going to be with the kids. Okay. So when you say a first day at school, um, you've talked about this before. It's, it's a traumatic event, the first day of school. Talk about that. Okay. You know, Linda, I, I mean, we have people listening. If everybody listening would think about your first day of school, there's not one person that doesn't remember. Uh, okay. And, and if you don't, then you had a very unbelievably bad day. But everybody remembers. I know you and I have talked about it. You remember. I remember. Yeah. Okay, and it's a real predictor of the separation that occurs because there's been isolation and separation. Like 49% of people were remote. So there's half the people, you know, of these 300,000, you know, were remote. And now they have to go back to school. And, you know, first day of school, it's not like just first day of school. It's like, how do you feel Monday mornings after not going to school for two days. How do you feel after holidays? How do you feel after the summer? Okay. So in other words, all of these times that kids were at home and then had to be separated. So I get that. So it's psychological about being away from something. And so then you have to start over again. But how does the pandemic weigh in? I mean, the kids being scared, having to wear masks for over a year. Um, how does this, well, let's call it a kitty cave syndrome weigh into this. If we call it like a kitty cave syndrome, we think about the kids, you know, just, you know, like the first day of school thing, then look what's happened over the last 18 months. Okay. Unprecedented. I speak to a lot of people here in my practice that they lost some relative or somebody, you know, um, so there's been losses, death. There's, there's been parents have lost their jobs. You know, there's financial issues. There's t- problems with routine. You used to do this with all your friends, and now you didn't do it for 18 months. It's like a developmental arrest. People's anniversaries, milestones, you name it, been interrupted. So it's a major trauma 
in terms of a disruption in kids' development. You know, like adults at least went through a lot of things. They have some history. These young people really don't. So really, this is unprecedented, you know, what we're seeing right now. And we got to be prepared. I had mentioned, you know, the Miami-Dade School District, but certainly this is national. It's global. I mean, the CDC says that mental health-related emergency room visits among adolescents jumped up over like 40% in 2020 from the previous year. That's huge. Okay. You know, Linda, what, uh, one of the ways that the, the world sees well, what's going on in terms of you know, real mental health problems is certainly from the hospital. Because from the ER perspective and from the inpatient perspective, they are changing adult units to pediatric units. They're shipping kids out, like out of state because there's no beds anywhere. It is, so we see it from, you know, the medical side, how bad this thing is. Okay, so what should parents, because it starts at home as far as identifying the problem, what should parents be on the look for? Uh, Okay, first of all, you know, we have to kind of take a, when the kids go back to school, let's take a look at their functioning. Mom, I can't concentrate, can't remember anything. They're irritable, angry. Mom, I'm scared. Okay, what are you scared about? And like, you know, I don't look good or the kids don't treat me good or um, I I don't spend much time with the kids. I'm withdrawn. I'm just don't like to go, mom. Okay, so so take a look at some of the fears and some regression. Talk to your kid. School boards hiring a lot of mental health professionals, you know, but there's only so much they could do for the severe situations. But parents can really do something and good parents talk to their kids. Just talk to your kids. Easy. Okay. So just talk to your kids and see what's going on there. And then think about this. Remember that first day at school or what happened on Monday mornings. So kids have separation and issues and so do adults. So get yourself prepared and your kid prepared. Now, you know, when your kid is in a room at dark at night. Mom wakes up, wakes you up and says, you know, I'm scared of my room. So you go as a good parent to the room and you set, you look around the room, say, you know, look, there's nothing really here to be scared of. You see it? And the kid goes, yeah, yeah, I got that. Okay, okay. So let's kind of go back and everything's safe, secure, supportive. That's what you want to give the kid. You see how that mom was safe, secure, supportive. And that's how the parents need to take care of their kid. Now, if it gets bad, I mean, you know, that the kid uh, is not sleeping, is dysfunctional, has all the symptoms we mentioned. You may need to get some professional help here. And so don't be shy about getting professional help. And the good news, as you've always liked to say, is that children are resilient. You'll see many kids are just going to be fine. You know, let's really be realistic about that. The kids are going to be fine. And just if the parents could follow through a little bit and the resources that are in place for the schools, and we know it's an issue, I think it's going to be a real positive. And, you know, mom, you know, have your kid be kind, you know, to others. And that really works.
great advice. I want to move on to our next topic, though, because we are running out of time. And that is a sign that I saw. This is funny. The top hardest things to say, okay? I was wrong. I need help. And Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but but on a on a more on a more serious note, um, I want to talk about one of those three things, and that's um, how hard it is to say those three words. I need help. Why is that so hard to say? You know, it's I, I really like the topics we pick. You know, it's kind of like things that we don't think about that we do all the time. You know, we put some light on it, okay? And maybe develop some skills about understanding to overcome it. Because this is a really big thing. It is. It's one of the most searched mental health questions on the internet. Okay, well, I have really some good thoughts on this, okay? You know, first of all, you know, I talked to a bunch of people, you know, in my practice about this. And I tell you, it comes down to, oh, I don't really want to like burden that person you know, you know, to help me. Okay. That's one thing. Oh, and then, hey, doc, that's going to make me look bad. You know, if I go ask for this to make me look bad. Okay. Okay. So the reality is that people really need help. It's built into our genome and I'll explain why we really need help. Now we're a cross between being independent and being dependent. If you can do that well, you're a very resourceful individual. Okay. So um, basically, it comes down to two things. It comes down to um, emotional strength issues. And there's two aspects. If you could tolerate unpleasant things well, we call them kind of narcissistic injuries, sadness, disappointment, embarrassment, feeling vulnerable. If you could handle that kind of stuff, okay, then you could be capable. Okay. If you felt capable, okay, then the second thing is then you could be resourceful, which if you are, you're empowered, you can do things, then you ask for help. What's happened is it's really built in evolution that teamwork, asking for help is totally adaptable. If the recent book on Homo sapiens, because yeah, I'm a kind of a biology, evolutionary kind of guy. What it talked about in the book was the Homo sapiens and the Neanderthals lived together on the planet. And all of a sudden, the Homo sapiens developed language. After language, Homo sapiens dominated. And that is the course of our history. That means language, teamwork, asking for help, cooperating. Talking about evolution, do you think why maybe some people have more of um, a problem with asking for help comes from childhood? Maybe their fir the first time uh, they asked for help, it was a really bad experience. They were told no. Well, you, you know, uh, honestly, I agree with what you're saying. And it really comes down to the development of the self, how the self developed in people. And that was like early on in development. And well, what happened is maybe they uh, had some issues in developing their self that they felt inadequate. And there lies the problem. If people feel more adequate, then all these things about being shamed or helpless, embarrassed, 
you know, they feel adequate. You know, they, they ask for help when it's appropriate, you know, to ask for help. In other words, hey, look, look, if you try to do everything you can, but you can't fix it, then call somebody. You get some help. You know, the guy on the other end appreciates all the data. And it didn't mean you, you were helpless or weak. It just meant that, you know, you need some help. What's wrong with that? Right. And you know what? At work, you have to remember that bosses would rather you ask for help than the work not get done. Right. At the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I think adequate bosses understand, you know, how people have limitations and so forth and appreciate that people reach out when they don't know what they're doing. I think you have to be open minded to ask for help. You have to think of what are you going to gain? It's it's an opportunity to collaborate. And obviously, it's an opportunity to learn. And learning is very positive. Yeah, all those things are totally on target. And I think it's like a skill set then. Exactly. So we need to learn to ask for help and learn to give help, right? Being well, the receiver of the question and lending help is really a positive thing as well. But we can talk about that for days and we'll right. actually earmark that for another day. Yeah, yeah, being gracious. Being gracious, which we love to talk about. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's hit on that next time. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of next time, I'm yes. going to let you go. And it's always wonderful to speak to you and have a good week. You too, Linda. Great talking to you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. From Bregman, MD, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Breakdown with Dr. B. If you'd like more information or to speak to one of our top psychiatrists, just head to our website at BregmanMD.com to book a telepsychiatry visit from the comfort of your home. Hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast. Catch you next time.